This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. You're listening to Facing Evil, a production of iHeartRadio and Tenderfoot TV. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals participating in the show and do not represent those of iHeartRadio or Tenderfoot TV. This podcast contains subject matter which may not be suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Facing Evil. I'm Yvette Gentile. And I'm Rasha Pecorero. So this week, we are talking about the murder of Michelle McNeil. This was a shocking case that involved a perpetrator who weaved a huge web of deceit and crime that destroyed basically every single person that he touched. And that is just a small snippet of the story. Today, we'll be breaking all of this down with our guest, M. William Phelps, who many of you may know. He's an author and an investigative journalist known for the podcast Paper Ghosts and Crossing the Line with M. William Phelps. But first, our producer Trevor is going to take us through today's case. Was Martin McNeil about to get away with murder? That's what two unlikely accusers believe, his daughters. They say he killed their mother, and they've spent the past six years trying to prove it. We did try to warn her, and there was no talking to her. It was like he had his grips around her. He had total control. Ever since um, the day my mom died, I was concerned that my father killed her. I've been fighting to get justice for this case uh, ever since then. Michelle McNeil was a 50-year-old woman who died under mysterious circumstances in 2007. On April 2nd of that year, she'd had cosmetic surgery, a facelift, and by all accounts, it went well. But then, things took a turn for the tragic. Her husband of 30 years, Martin McNeil, was a physician and had asked the surgeon to prescribe a variety of medications that wouldn't normally be necessary. And on April 11th, she was found dead, fully clothed in her bathtub. Investigators initially chalked her death up to a heart attack, but later toxicology reports would reveal something much more nefarious. Michelle's children had suspected their father was responsible. There were rumors that Martin was having an affair. And soon, years of wrongdoing and deceit would come to light. Martin McNeil's reported crimes started back in the 1970s, when he forged thousands of dollars worth of checks in the state of California. That's also when he started scamming the Veterans Association for disability payments, 
hauling off more than $100,000 over three decades. During this time period, he and Michelle had met at the Church of Latter-day Saints and quickly eloped. Soon after, Martin was briefly jailed in a separate case of forgery, theft, and fraud. In 1984, he landed a residency in a New York hospital after falsifying transcripts to get into medical school. In 2000, he resigned from a medical residency at Brigham Young Health Clinic in Provo, Utah, after being accused of having an affair with a patient. And in fact, he reportedly had a series of affairs. And one girlfriend later reported that Martin had told her he'd killed his own brother by drowning him in a bathtub. After Martin began an affair with a woman named Gypsy Willis, he became increasingly verbally abusive with Michelle. Martin wanted a divorce, but Michelle, a devout Mormon, wanted to save their marriage. And that's when, in 2007, Martin proposed that she get facelift surgery. And Michelle, who by all accounts didn't need the surgery, agreed to do it. Martin then demanded that the doctors prescribe an unusually heavy-duty cocktail of drugs for Michelle, and he got his way. The day after she was discharged, their daughter Alexis found Michelle unresponsive. She managed to briefly awaken her mother, but she had to go back to school. Before she did, her mother told her, quote, If anything happens to me, make sure it was not your dad, end quote. And a few days later, on April 11th, Alexis got a phone call from her father, telling her that her younger adopted sister had found Michelle face down in their bathtub, unresponsive. It took months for Michelle's adult children to convince authorities to investigate Martin McNeil. And it took years for Martin to finally get a trial, where he was eventually convicted of murder. And after just over two years of serving his sentence, Martin took his own life while in prison. And so, who was Michelle McNeil? What actually led to her suspicious death? And how does this story reveal a darker method of partner abuse involving deception, manipulation, and drugs? All right, we are back. And we have got a very special guest joining us today to talk about the case of Michelle McNeil. You may know him from the hit true crime podcast, Paper Ghost, or you maybe read one of his many books, including We Thought We Knew You or Don't Tell a Soul, just to name a few. We're talking, of course, about M. William Phelps. So welcome. Thank you for having me. I, I, I'm, I'm humbled by it. And uh, I, like, I love your show and listen. And um, yeah, it's great to be on. Uh, well, thanks, Matthew. I guess, first of all, we always like to ask our guests, like, how did you, you know, get into the true crime genre? Tell us, like, did you search it out or did it did it just happen? Tell us a little bit about yourself and how that all came about. That's an um, interesting story because the day before I was a true crime author, I didn't know I was becoming a true crime author. You know, I was a journalist. Mm. Uh, I wrote about politics, music, everything. And then my agent was like, listen, if, if you really want to make a go of this, you should write a book. So I was covering the story of a nurse in Northampton, Massachusetts, who had killed a bunch of people and she was on trial. So I pitched that. Uh, I got a, I got a deal and I thought I was writing a book about a bunch of different people, interesting people, one of whom was a serial killer. And I published that book. And then all of a sudden I was a true crime guy and 
that's all they wanted. The book was kind of successful. So that's what they wanted. And I followed it. And um, from that book, you know, TV came, they wanted to interview me on different shows for that book. So I got into TV that way. And then I continued to write books, continued to, to do lots of TV, executive produce, produce, create TV shows, you know, all in the true crime space, documentaries. And then, of course, podcast companies came calling. And, um, you know, here I am. I partnered with iHeart about uh, three years ago, and it's been great. I mean, they're a great company for what I want to do. They really yes, are. They are. I, heart. I mean, we're, we're part of the same Ohana, Matthew, and the yeah. same family. Yeah. Same. Yeah. 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 So I love that. I think, you know, Yvette and I stumbled into true crime just because of our lineage and, you know, who we're related to. But it's what you do with it when you have that voice given to you. Right. So, right. of right. course, you know, today we are talking about Michelle McNeil and I would love to know, Matthew, what was your first impression on this particular case? My first impression when I looked at this case was the LDS connection, number one. I see a lot mm. of that in my work. I see a lot of the control, coercive control, uh, almost cult-like behavior. Not all LDS, of course, but I do see uh, an amount of it. I see in, in a lot of these stories we cover, I mean, I just see a woman who, as a kid, was an A student, uh, uh, the golden child, if you will. She played the mm -hmm. violin. She was a cheerleader. She acted, homecoming queen. It goes on and on and on, right? Right. Yeah. So, you know, we see these people a lot of times who are, it's like these, this person had so much to offer humanity hmm. and somebody came along and took that away from not only the world, but her inner circle, you know? So my first impressions were just as they generally are sadness uh, uh, yeah. and, and a lot of frustration that no one saw what was going on here as this thing builds, you know, there's a lot going on, a lot of red flags that were missed. A lot of red flags. A lot, a lot of <laughs> red flags. And, you know, and one of the first things I want to talk about is the major red flag, who is Martin, right? Martin McNeil. And the thing that is so, it's just mind-blowing to me, is that this man was able to forge, like, documents for government, for job qualifications, for medical, and no one, like, batted an eye. Like, how... How do we think that he got away with this? Like for me, you know, being a biracial woman, like I think about if it was a black man or a Latino, like I feel like they would have been like stopped in their tracks, you know, instantly. But this guy just seemed to get away with it. Do we think it was because, you know, he was a veteran to start with? I mean, I don't know. It's interesting because you mentioned the, uh, the racial part of it. And, you know, he's a white LDS guy. It's like, you know, right. who, who's going to question that guy, right? I mean, mm -hmm. and we right. should. You know, we, you, you should take everything out of it, right? And you could just yeah. look at the behavior, right? And things he did, the, the amount of prescriptions he was, he was forging. I mean, he was a doctor, right? So when I look at everything he's done in totality, right? It's almost like you say that he was given a free pass and no one questioned what he was doing. And if someone just had taken even a second look at what he was doing, Bang. Right. I mean, you know, they'd have opened up a, a Pandora's box of uh, criminal behavior, really. Exactly. 
I think you just hit the nail on the head, Matthew, like the Pandora's box of criminal behavior, right? Mm -hmm. And you were saying earlier about like red flags. I mean, we're talking about a guy, right? From what I read, he attempted to kill his mother and allegedly killed his brother, right? Allegedly, Allegedly, yes. Mm -hmm. Who was found face down in a bathtub, which is an important part of everything, right? Yes. Absolutely. So prior previous behavior is a good indication of behavior in the future for people like this. Now, when we come to what you were talking about, forging checks and all this manipulation, you you start to head down the road of a sociopath, right? Mm, Mm. Right. And the thing we can never forget about a sociopath, but more so about a psychopath, is that we can't underestimate how charming they are. Ah, mm. yes. Sometimes we'll we'll get pulled into the web of their charm and they won't even know it. I interviewed a serial killer for nine years and going into that, a forensic psychologist friend of mine told me, look, you invite the devil into your house, you better be ready to dine with him because if not, he's going to get inside your head. Ooh, yeah. And- Throughout that whole time, I mean, 98% of the time I kept, I was M. William Phelps. I was never Matthew. I was M. William Phelps the whole time, mm-hmm. right? I was that, I was that guy. Persona. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. there were a couple of times where I fell right in with him. Not in evil things he was talking about, but just like, hey, what are you doing tonight, Phelps, when we get off the phone? Or when I went to go visit him in prison, hey, where, where are you headed now? Well, I'm headed to, no, no, no. You're, you're <laughs> right. Not, we're yeah. not friends. Right. Yeah. We're not friends. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So when we talk about Martin, we talk about the same type individual. Uh, I'm not saying he's a psychopath, but he clearly is heading down the road of a sociopath. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought... In that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. You know, he was this supposedly, right, this charming guy who, you know, Michelle loved him. But at the same time, he was having an affair with this Gypsy Willis, who was the nanny. Right. And we always talk about about this a lot. Like when women know, like Michelle knew what was happening, but she still chose to stay. We always think from our perspective, 
well, why don't they just leave? Why didn't they get out? Why are they staying with these people? Why do you think she didn't after all the things that he was doing? In these situations, and I spoke to a really great expert on this, Laura Richards, here what we're seeing in this relationship between the two of them is coercive control without a doubt. Mm -hmm. The numbers say this, a woman in a coercive control marriage or relationship who's being abused, it takes her six to seven times to leave, meaning she she goes, she comes back, she goes, if she's alive to leave at the seventh time. Wow. Wow. So in this case, we see no. So to answer your question, she was probably scared more than anything else to leave. And she had children, you know, they had so many children as well, right? She had children. And you throw an LDS into it. LDS guilt into it. And the, the elders probably telling her, you have to stay. That's your duty as a Christian. You have to stay. So she's getting it from all ends here, right? And she's scared. Right. right. And that's what we were talking about earlier. Like, you don't break up the marriage in this particular religion, in the Mormon religion, right? You just, you're not supposed to, supposedly. I mean, she caught him, you know, looking at pornography, and he threatened to kill her and himself with a butcher knife. Right. So this is the kind of atmosphere she's living under. Yeah, and that mm-hmm. pattern. Right. I am almost 100% sure and I'll say allegedly, but I am 100% sure he said to her many times, you leave, I'll find you, I'll kill you, or I'll kill these kids. I guarantee he said that. There's no doubt. Yeah. yeah. And so that's what she's living under. Plus, he's, he's a doctor, right? So he's got medications that he's giving to her without her knowledge, I would assume. You know, So he's really, really controlling this woman. Right. I was going to say he's a master manipulator. Absolutely. So he somehow convinces his stunningly gorgeous wife, Michelle. She's, by all accounts, this beautiful woman. She, you know, was a model at one point, I believe, and just so beautiful. But he convinces her to get a facelift. And that's part of the manipulation, right? So she agrees and is like, okay, I'll I'll get this surgery. And then that's when Martin asked Michelle's doctor to prescribe her a laundry list of medications which eventually ends up killing her. So, you know, my my question for you, Matthew, like how cunning do we feel that this was, you know, compared to most of the other true crime cases that you cover? I mean, have you seen this a lot? Yeah, this is pretty classic stuff that he's doing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes in life we run into people and... um We don't realize it, but I call them soul suckers. They just start Mm. sucking Mm. the soul Mm. out of your life. You don't even realize what's happening. You're caught in this spiral. There's a little bit of codependency on your part, right? So you're, you're in it, right? Sure. And you're scared and, and they are using the, the absolute best manipulation tactics that they have in their arsenal to control you. Like mm-hmm. this cosmetic surgery, the facelift, um, she decides to do it, but then he first wants her to lower her blood pressure and then lose some weight, right? So, so these are more tactics to tell her you're ugly, you're overweight, and you need to do these things if you want me to treat you better. Yeah. So this is all classic 
manipulation, coercive control on his part. It's very classic. I've seen it many times. I've written about it a dozen times, probably, in uh, 40-something books. Yeah. I always like to look for the light and the darkness. And the thing about her children, like, they spoke out about him. There's the light. There is the the light. You know, they were so courageous and so brave. And they knew it. You know, it's like when you get that feeling, right? That intuitive feeling that something is not right. And they took initiative, you know, to do the right thing. I find that to be very uh, courageous on their part and very much a sense of love. You know, they, they, this, it's love, you know, uh, we're going to yes. try to bust through all of this with love. Yeah. So many people don't do that today. You know, it's, it's, it's so much easier to love. Right. It, it's harder to hate. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, with a guy like this, from just being on the outside, they knew not even being in the inner part of their marriage, just on the outside, they knew this guy was a steamroller, just right. running through yeah. Yeah. their mother's life. And eventually he was going to take that life. And they knew yeah. that they sensed that for yeah. sure. Mm. Yeah. I love that you said that, Matthew, though, like, you know, they chose love. Like, and I can only imagine how conflicted they were because this man was their father. You know, he wasn't the biological father to all of the children. I believe some of them were adopted and, you know, some were biologically his. But it is, it is easier to love. And, you know, even after all of that, you know, their mother essentially being killed and murdered, just a little bit after that, and I'm not going to go into details because I'm the one, I, I, can't, I can't say all, all the nitty gritty gross details. I'm sure that you can, Matthew, but I cannot. Um, but I do know that, you know, Martin ended up sexually assaulting one of his daughters just a short time after Michelle was killed. It was his daughter, Alexis. And she, I think she was home right before she was herself going back to medical school. She was going, she was on break yeah. and she woke up to him sexually assaulting her. I'm not even going to go into the nitty gritty. And this is what Alexis said that her father, Martin, said to her when she woke up and discovered what was happening. He said, quote, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were your mother, end quote. Like, how disgustingly gross is that? Makes me sick to my stomach. I mean, he is a predator. But just the fact, like what we were talking about earlier, you know, just that had happened to her and that she still had the strength and the courage to speak up. Right. She wasn't afraid of him. She wasn't afraid. You know, this type of behavior, it tells me a lot. The absolute hubris, the absolute gall tells me a couple of things that he's probably done it before. Mm, right. Okay. This is not his first rodeo with this, right? Right. Yeah. And we know, when I say we in my profession, we know that a guy like Martin, his type of behavior, it never de-escalates. It always escalates. Mm, I see. Always gets worse. Yeah. So if we look back, we see, you know, he, he attempted to kill mom. He allegedly killed his brother in a bathtub. Which is how Michelle was found as well. Prior behavior, good indication of later behavior. So she's dead and now he's going to start to openly sexually abuse the children. So yeah, this is classic, classic sociopath behavior. 
I mean, I did read some stuff about him perhaps being diagnosed mentally ill early on, but I have not seen those reports, the actual psychological Mm. reports, and I'd love to see those. I'd love to see those because a sociopath can easily manipulate a a psychologist into believing that they have a mental illness. Yeah, they have a mental illness. That's all part of the, you know, the game. So unless I see those psychology reports, I'm not believing that he was mentally, you know, I'm not, I'm not buying it. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. You know... We do so many of these cases, and the thing that is so frustrating about a lot of these cases is that it always takes, not always, but a lot of the time, it takes so very long for these predators, murderers, you know, to actually do the time. And for, I mean, for Martin, it took six years for him to finally go on trial for the murder of Michelle. Like, why is this so common? Justice uh, runs a lot of times for the worst criminals at a snail's pace um, because they they get these lawyers to muck up the whole situation, to just start to file motions and argue every single little bitty thing, try to get venues changed, the whole thing. So they just keep prolonging this, prolonging this, hoping something pops for them. And it's very frustrating because, look, you're dragging the family through the six years, right? So these right. The, these family members who have lost a loved one are just being re-victimized now all over again, over and over and over. Every time there's a, I have a case now that I'm I've been waiting on for I don't know ten years, um, and this guy's been in prison and for and justice, it, yeah, for the trial to start. Wow, a decade. A decade. That's ridiculous. A decade. I mean, it just postponement after postponement after postponement. The other part of it too, sometimes, which shouldn't take more than a year, is that sometimes prosecutors will want to, you know, they'll want to wait because they hope maybe they can cut a deal and avoid trial for everybody. So they start to talk to the defense attorney and maybe talk about a deal, talk to the family. Hey, would you accept 25 years, you know, or whatever. So that can take a little bit of time. Right. Right. But yeah. But this this five, six, ten year stuff is just our justice system is broken. 
I have to agree with that. I had a case I covered on uh, Crossing the Line where a girl that I went to school with was murdered uh, at the bus stop in the in the woods. I'm so sorry. And they caught the kid who went to school with us. So long story short, I mean, he he went to trial, you know, he, he got 25 years. He's out in 17 years. Her family fought that, fought that, fought that, fought that. He gets out in 17 years. He moves south, meets a girl, gets her pregnant, and then he kills her in front of the baby. Oh. There's more. He gets 25 to 40 years for that, and he just got out last fall. No. What? This man has murdered two women. He's walking the street as we speak. Justice system is broken. I'm at a I'm at a loss for words. Yeah, it makes no sense to me how some of these cases sometimes are adjudicated, especially when it comes to sexual assault cases. Right. Given the, given these three four year sentences to guys who judges know are going to go back out and do, do it, it again. again. I'm getting myself heated here, and I don't want to do that on your show. It's just so frustrating, like you said, and it, and it gets into our our heart and our soul and our mind and our spirit because. We see it so often, you know, where they, they get in, they get out, or they never even get in at all. We try to, your words, find the light in this, right? We, we yes. always, mm. I do, as an empath, as a, as a person, yeah. yes. try to yeah. find the light in this. Where's the light in this, right? Where is it? And sometimes it's not there. It's just not there, you know? You'd think, oh, it's going to be the judge. Oh, it's going to be the prosecutor. Where is it? You know, so, but there's hope. You know, you, get, you can't lose hope. Always, always, always hope. Well, Matthew, what I was going to say as a fellow empath, which my sister Yvette and I are just like you, I think that's why we all do what we do, right? We are here for a reason to shine light. And I, and Yvette, I know, always, always, always try to find the light, even when it feels like it it's so dark that you can't see it. In this particular case, at least after a 22-day trial, Martin was finally found guilty of first-degree murder. And on that day, his daughter, Alexis, but more importantly, Michelle's daughter, Alexis, said, quote, there was justice for my mom today. We are just so happy he cannot hurt anyone else, end quote. And didn't, didn't Alexis take on her mom's name instead of his name? She, she sure yes, did. She, did. she, she did. didn't want to be Dr. McNeil. Nope. So much respect that it, you know, it's yeah. so I've seen other cases where kids are involved, where um, they take sides. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Look at the Michael Peterson case, the staircase, right? Yeah. That, that kind of divided those kids in that case. Right. But here I'm so happy to see her say what she said. Not, not only that, but to, to take on mom's name and, and become yeah. Dr. Summers. Strong, a strong woman right there, you know, and she will carry the torch for her mom, you know, and pay it forward to the next generation. So that is the light. That is that is the light. The light is starting to creep in there. Sure. You know, lastly, we're going to end on on this. And this is a very important question um, for all of us. We do know that in April 2017, Martin actually did successfully he committed suicide you know we know he had tried many times before but this was only two and a half years into his prison sentence mm -hmm. right so the question here is do we think he was truly mentally unstable 
And the last part of the question is, do we think that if someone would have recognized these signs in him, could he have been saved? Could he have been a different human being? I think um, nothing was going to stop him from causing chaos and evil throughout his life. Uh, that was his yeah. nature. That's what he was going to do, whether it was with Michelle or somebody else. Um, I think his suicide was more of a coward, this move to Agreed. get out mm -hmm. of spending life in prison and being a person who sexually abused his own kid and a murderer. Uh, he probably wouldn't have lasted long. Yeah. You know, to the question of noticing earlier on, that's a really important question uh, uh, that is being studied a lot today. Um, can we do brain scans on um, potential oh, yeah. psychopaths? And because most psychopaths, um, I, I don't, I never want to say all, but all the psychopaths that I've seen brain scans of in this work that's going on in England, they all are missing the empathy, love part of their brain. It's, really? there's literally a hole. So, I mean, and I know this from interviewing serial killers, psychopaths. It's not that they don't love. It's they can't love. They they have no understanding of what love even means because they've never felt it. So that, that's an interesting question. I think with a sociopath is kind of learned. You learn behavior in yourself. You grow into it. Psychopath kind of nature and nature, right? There's mm -hmm. the two combined. But with a sociopath, it's I think it's all nurturing. I think it's all as you grow into this this person, you realize that you can get things by manipulation, pathological right. lying, right. you know, all of this stuff. So Martin, I, I don't think I, I don't think his path would have ever been different if somebody pointed out, hey, you know, you know, you're not right, dude. You, you, you gotta get some help. He was gonna do what he wanted to do regardless. Yeah, we see that earlier in his life with the attempted murder and the alleged murder. We we see that. Right. Yeah. We see how he sets up his life. That's this is who I am. You know, he's telling us, yeah. right? And then he proceeds to get worse and do worse things. Gosh, that resonated so deeply what you just said. And it, I feel like, Rasha, you know, this is such a, a wonderful conversation with you because I feel like we're like-minded, you know, yes. that we're coming coming from the same point of view, you know, always trying to tell the story, but have an immense amount of empathy for you know, those that are all involved in it. Right, right, right. And and understand that, you know, uh, victims of murder, once the victim of murder is dead, there's a ripple effect that travels throughout the family forever and ever and ever and yes. ever. Friends, family, the community yes. sometimes, right? Yeah, um, so absolutely. So it's, it's, yeah, so we have to take that into consideration all the time. Always and hold them in the light as well. Hold them in the yes. light. <laughs> yes. Well, M. William Phelps, the one and only, Mahalo Nui Loa. Thank you so much for being here on Facing Evil, but you'll always be Matthew to us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Today's final message of hope and healing goes out to Rachel, Vanessa, Alexis, Giselle, Elle, Sabrina, and Ada. They are the children and adult children whose lives were scarred by the death of Michelle McNeil and by the death of their brother, Damien, who took his own life three years after the death of their mother. It is our hope for you that as the years go on, you are able to celebrate the lives of those you held so dear 
and honor their legacy as you are released from old wounds, that you are able to cherish the lives that you shared. The sorrow will always remain, but it is our sincere hope that the light finds you again and again and again. And if you, listening right now, find yourself in a time of grief and pain, know that this is our wish for you as well. Onward and upward, Imua. Imua. Well, that's our show for today. We'd love to hear what you thought about today's discussion and if there's a case you'd like for us to cover. Find us on social media or email us at facingevilpod at tenderfoot.tv. And one small request, if you haven't already, please find us on iTunes and give us a good rating and a good review if you like what we do. Your support is always cherished. Until next time, aloha. Facing Evil is a production of iHeartRadio and Tenderfoot TV. The show is hosted by Rasha Pecorero and Yvette Gentile. Matt Frederick and Alex Williams are executive producers on behalf of iHeartRadio, with producers Trevor Young and Jesse Funk. Donald Albright and Payne Lindsay are executive producers on behalf of Tenderfoot TV, alongside producer Tracy Kaplan. Our researcher is Carolyn Talmadge. Original music by Makeup and Vanity Set. Find us on social media or email us at facingevilpod at tenderfoot.tv. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio or Tenderfoot TV, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.